Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Jessica and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Mountain Province Diamond's Q1 2020 conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the star followed by the two. Thank you. Mr. Stuart Brown, you may begin your conference. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Jessica, and uh, good day to everyone who's joined us on the call on the webcast. Thank you very much. Um, format for today, pretty normal. Um, I'll give you a brief introduction. Perry will cover the financial and production highlights, and then I'll try and cover three broad topics. Um, we can all see that Q1 was good. However, we know we're in a different world at the moment. So we'll try and address some of those um, issues and information imparted in the announcement. Before I move on, I'd just like to remind everyone of the forward-looking statement, anything covered today, so you should please make yourselves familiar with the content on page two of the webcast presentation. Um, and also there'll be a reference to some financial metrics and non-IFRS standards. But Without further ado, if I could hand over to Perry to cover the production and the highlights of Q1. Thank you. Thanks, Stuart. Good morning, everyone. As Stuart mentioned, I will provide some brief highlights for the first quarter of 2020. All production stats are on a 100% basis unless otherwise noted, and all financial figures will be in Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. Starting with uh, the production stats, uh, if you're looking at the webcast, it's on slide four. Um, we mined just under 9.4 million tons in the first quarter compared to uh, 9.5 million tons in the prior year, uh, first quarter. You'll see that the uh, stripping ratio uh, was a little bit lower this year compared to last year as we mined uh, just over a million tons uh, of ore compared to 600,000 tons uh, in the prior year. Uh, we just began uh, the early phases of uh, the initial uh, stripping of the Tuzo pits uh, with 65,000 tons uh, mined there in the quarter, but otherwise uh, mining was still focused on uh, 5034 and Hearn. Uh, tons moved for, and project productivity were generally at or above uh, 2019 uh, levels prior to the initial impact of uh, COVID-19 and precautionary measures taken at the mine beginning in March, which did, did have some impact on uh, mining rates towards the end of the quarter. Uh, looking at tons treated, uh, tons treated continued strongly throughout this whole period with the plant running at approximately 10,000 tons per day for a total of 903,000 tons treated versus 871,000 tons in the prior period. And uh, grade was generally consistent at 1.83 uh, carats per ton compared to 1.82 last year. This combined to result in carrots recovered of 1.66 million carrots compared to 1.59 million carrots last year, Q1. And uh, just commenting briefly on the impacts of COVID-19, uh, the beers and mine personnel have done a tremendous job 
uh, working with local authorities on mitigation plans that focus on worker safety at the mine and ensuring that there's uh, minimal risk of transmission uh, of COVID into uh, remote northern communities. As mentioned earlier, uh, mine production was impacted late in the first quarter, which continued into the second quarter due to personnel shortages as a result of COVID measures. But uh, since then, uh, we've onboarded temporary contractors, uh, which are expected to have addressed this issue going forward. Uh, turning now, I guess, to the financial highlights on the next slide, slide five. Um, I'll just start there, uh, noting that uh, top line revenue for the quarter was uh, $65 million uh, from the sale of just under 659,000 carats at an average price of US $75 per carat. This compares to revenue of $61 million of the sale of 644,000 carats at US $71 per carat in the prior year. The higher prices realized compared to the same period in 2019 were affected by uh, the source of diamonds from varying parts of the ore body, uh, as well as the overall sentiment in the rough diamond market having improved uh, in early 2020 compared to uh, prior to the impact of COVID-19. This is also partially attributed to uh, the volume and quality of fancies and specials included in the product mix. I would note our third sale of the year was scheduled to begin uh, mid-March, however, was canceled due to COVID-19 lockdowns imposed uh, in Belgium. Did not significantly impact our Q1 budgeted revenue expectations as we did not expect to receive these process proceeds uh, from sale three until uh, the second quarter, but obviously uh, we will feel that impact uh, during, the, during the current quarter. Looking at our adjusted EBITDA, uh, it was $23 million for the quarter compared to $20 million in the same period in 2019, largely due to uh, higher sales and realized prices. On a production basis for the first quarter, overall costs declined both on a per ton and per carat recovered basis, uh, which is primarily, primarily attributable to higher throughput through the plant, uh, lower input costs of consumables, and uh, the build of ore stockpile in the first quarter of 2020 uh, compared to uh, a large depletion of the ore stockpile uh, during the first quarter of 2019. Uh, you'll note that our EBITDA margin uh, increased uh, in the quarter to 35% uh, compared to 33% in the same period 2019. Uh, looking at our gap reported uh, income and loss, we reported a net loss of $41 million or 19 cents a share compared to net income of $2 million or one cent a share for 2019 first quarter. Um, the reported gap loss was primarily attributable to a $31 million unrealized foreign exchange loss uh, on the translation of our U.S. denominated debt into Canadian dollars, which we can significantly at the end of the first quarter uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, the impact on oil prices. Obviously, uh, um, a weaker Canadian dollar is beneficial uh, for the company on an operating cost basis, given that uh, the vast majority of our operating costs are denominated in Canadian dollars. Uh, lastly, I'll just uh, mention our balance sheet, uh, where we ended the quarter with $31 million in cash compared to $35 million at the beginning of the quarter. Uh, we did draw down in April uh, U.S. $25 million of our revolving credit facility uh, to provide further liquidity uh, given the pause in sales. 
Um, but otherwise, um, I'll uh, stop uh, my presentation there and uh, turn it back to Stuart Brown. Uh, thanks very much, Perry. Um, as I said in, up front, there's probably three broad issues I'd like to cover. First being the, the operations and the impact thereon on what are we doing. The second being the market and our sales preparation. And finally, the third, our financial situation, and give you a bit of an update of what we, we're doing there. So as Perry mentioned, a lot of the, the impacts, uh, firstly for us, what we're very proud of is actually we've stayed, we're one of the few operations globally who has managed to stay open throughout um, this crisis and um, all stakeholders that have been involved in that and our operating partners and the, the Northwest Territories communities are to be commended for assisting us in doing this. We had success in the Winter Road campaign. It closed slightly early um, because we got all our loads in. What that does mean is we got all our costs in as well as all our materials. So that does make us a largely fixed uh, cost basis having committed all that expenditure. So that then draws you logically to you want to continue to mine. We have done so. Um, obviously health and safety has been our operational priority. We've had numerous operational changes. Perry mentioned the temporary labor that we're looking at because we've been forced to um, you know, not utilize all of our full workforce due to some of the medical and concerns and, and local community issues. This has had impact on some of our crews. We're not able to fully utilize all of our um, you know, operating fleet um, in procuring the right tons and, and doing all the waste stripping. So we've run a number of scenarios and we're just bedding those down. And now we're sort of running with May to see how we, we are operating before we select the best option, which is why we point to updating the market in, you know, in the near future on, on what likely, likely guidance we'll have for the rest of the year. The plant is still running uh, fully operational. Uh, we haven't had a, a dip in production at all. We've had some maintenance issues, but those are normal uh, issues we've dealt with per normal operating um, measures. We do have different ore that we had planned to treat through the ore, so we've had some low-grade material, but um, so far May has been a pretty good month uh, where we're well ahead on carrots. So apart from all of those issues, we, we are maintaining our operating um, cost structure. We have implemented a number of cost savings, wage structures, uh, temporary workers, uh, savings where we can make them. We made some savings on the oil uh, or the diesel rather. So on, on that front, I think we, we're pretty comfortable and we're building up stocks. We have a number of uh, stockpiles around the world where our goods have been trapped and they're now slowly being released as the world's opening. Which turns me to the markets. As Perry said, we cancelled our March sale and our next sale hasn't gone through. But where we are right now is we're assessing when we will open up um, on the formal sales front. In our favor here, we, we've got a number of positives that we can look to. China is nearly fully op operational as an economy. The sales levels across their, you know, their normal market and their demand-driven um, consumerism is approaching levels that we're at pre-COVID level, so that gives us encouragement. Um, and also, as we see the rest of the world now looking at that recovery model, um, and while there might be still a lot of difficulty happening across Europe and the rest of the world, we can see that turning to opening up. More importantly for us, um, we're seeing Antwerp open up uh, in the middle of this month, so that's next week. India following suit and is emerging from lockdown and other important diamond hubs, more specific to our industry, are opening up through May. 
and, and we hope to see that continue. We have made in this interim period some small sales outside of our formal um, normal structure, and we are encouraged by this. Um, we've done those at prices that we think are reasonable in this market, and we wouldn't have made them if we thought they were detrimental to us. Um, and our intent is to test the market later in the quarter. Um, we don't know what the world will look like, but there's, there's many outcomes, and I think over the next few weeks we'll become a lot wiser on this. So hence our cautious approach to how we would want to um, test the market. There are many unknowns on price and volume and, and demand, and, and those will be dictated to and shown the speed of recovery. And note I'm saying recovery. So obviously we do believe there will be a recovery, but this will depend on a number of factors. It will become clearer as we gather more information and the correct data over the coming weeks. I don't want to say too much about the sales and the volumes, but um, it's certainly something that we've seen with our customers getting hold of us to ask when we're going to open up again and have we got goods available for them to look at. So that we take as encouragement. If I could then move on to the funding, as Perry said, we, we, we sort of ended the quarter with um, you know, 30 odd million dollars in the bank. And we also drew down a further 25 million US, which came through at an advanced exchange rate of around 35 million. We've utilized some of that money to keep ourselves operational, meeting all our financial commitments. Um, and we are looking at a range of options. We, we are following a number of confidential negotiations with our bankers and our key stakeholders to plan for a way through this. Certainly no sales is not a long-term strategy. So while we build stock, we are looking at all sorts of options around how we could realize value for that, as well as extend uh, further credit. Um, as we approach um, recovery. These, these negotiations and potential sales outside of our normal channels will be concluded, concluded very shortly, and then we'll be in a position to update the market. Finally, a thanks to all our stakeholders um, for their support as we go through this uh, difficult time, their understanding, and we are confident that we will come out the other side. Our industry is nothing if not resilient, and our product is unique and special. I, will, I believe we will thrive again as a survivor post this crisis, and a lot needs to unfold and action to take, taken to find a way around this, which I can assure all the people on the call is precisely what we are doing. Uh, with that, I'm happy to take uh, questions. I have the rest of the team available as well. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press the star followed by the two. And if you're using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from Edward Sirk of BMO. Please go ahead. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, thank you for taking my question. So just uh, kind of stress testing things a little bit. It, you know, it looks like you're going to be able to make um, some sales this quarter, but if you can't make any sales, could you just outline how cash flows would look or the cash balance would look over the, over the course of the quarter and, and you know, when things would get uh, to a you know an exceptionally tight point. Um, that's my first question. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, you know, obviously with no sales and starting off with 
no debt and then drawing down would indicate that we've got a cash burn rate um, that's going to eat that up pretty soon. Um, so we, we have contingency plans. We have sales available that we can make that we would rather not do, um, given the price being offered. But we also have other plans on sales that we're in advanced stages of negotiating with. So I don't want to say too much about that because obviously price sensitive to the people we're negotiating with, um, as well as you know, trying to make sure that we can get a fair price for our goods in a market that's quite difficult. But it, it's we need to focus our minds on this is the best way of answering that, I think. Okay. Um, and then my second question is, uh, just with regards to cash calls from the joint venture, um, I, I, I presume during a period of no well, I mean, presumably you have to repatriate cash from revenue to pay for the cost anyway. Um, but but I, 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 are cash calls ongoing at the moment? And is there any chance that uh, your joint venture partner might backstop Mountain Province um, for, for a period of time? Okay, so we're currently up to date on all cash calls with our JV partner. And there's a lot of mechanisms within the JV to cover, um, you know, timing of payments and things like that. Uh, we consider that important that we maintain our place there. We are, you know, put them in amongst the, the stakeholders we're negotiating with and talking to on that. So yeah, again, when I say we're looking at all options around trying to find a way around this until we can see the market open, but there are a number of solutions. So yes, we're having ongoing discussions with um, our partner on that. Okay, thank you. And then look, I, I'm going to ask one final question. And again, it's probably one you won't be able to give uh, too much color on right now. But just but just, just thinking about the bonds, um, you know, are there any discussions with, with the major bondholders at the moment? I think I'll give you the same answer I gave you to the previous question. Uh, we're talking to all major stakeholders okay. about that. So I, I think you can. I think everyone on the call can take assurance that we are looking at every single option that we can to get through this. This is a deeply, um, you know, stressing crisis for every single company out there. That's probably in the extractive industry and a number of others. There are obviously some companies out there that are doing exceptionally well, but they're not. What, what we're involved in. We, we believe the market in the future is there. We're having demand for diamonds. People are buying diamonds again in China. So if we have that premise on there, our goal is to survive and make sure we get through this. We have a number of interested parties in our producing partner our, um, who operates the mine. Obviously our creditors, we're up to date with all of them. We are you know, meeting our commitments, but now we're talking to all groups of stakeholders, which includes our lenders, um, you know, bondholders, as well as various other parties to, to find the solutions here. Sales, if we could open up tomorrow, we have, you know, quite a lot of stock on hand, um, got quite a lot of it in Antwerp. We continue to produce, so we're building up stock on mine. We need to get that process rolling again. So as soon as the market opens up, we're ready to sell. Back to the price and the volume, that we'll see. But we're trying to find all ways around that. We don't want to be sellers at a price that doesn't make sense because um, that's not going to be beneficial to us, our shareholders, anyone in the market, or our bondholders. So multiple solutions, they don't be working really hard on that. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Your next question comes from Daniel McCombie of Rossport Investments. Please go ahead. Yes, good day, uh, and thanks for the update. St 
Stuart, from your last call, first question from your last call a couple months ago, whenever that was, um, it sounds like you, you, have, you are seeing a little blue sky. What, what's, what has changed maybe sequ sequentially from how you felt a month and a half ago about the situation? Um, I think a month and a half ago, China was shut as well. So the big changes they have opened up and they've demonstrated that retail is coming back. And in some places, and again, all this is limited reporting, but where we have seen the reporting, it's come back very positively. I was reading a note this morning from BMO, on, um, which is Ed's shop, that he was just asking the previous question on China retail, on China sales of motor industry, for example, which is a discretionary per purchase, you know, if you would consider yourself in the middle of a global crisis, where those levels are at, you know, at above pre-COVID levels. So year on year, we're seeing China showing positive results. And I think as that's now opened up, I'm a, I'm a month and a half wiser from the last call that we had or whatever that time frame is. So that's given us confidence. Um, I think the inquiries from people about our goods and our products um, has, has given us that information. But mostly China has led with the positive news. So if we can sort of parlay that onto how the rest of the world may open up and the U.S. opening up again. Obviously caveated with, you know, all things are, as we can see, in the public domain. Um, there's a lot of caveats to how quickly it will happen. But yeah, I was feeling more positive this morning at the start of the call than I was going into the crisis and seeing the rest of the world going to massive lockdown and China not being open. Okay, great. Uh, second question. Um, if, if closing closing the operation for a while is, is, a, is a possibility, are the, would the, a temporary closing be prohibitively expensive just in terms of start and restarting? Um, yeah, there were a number of factors on that that we did look at, at that. So it depends on the timing of the year. We, we're going through a period called um, freshet, which is uh, where the, the ice and the snow that's been standing for the whole winter is now busy melting. And for our kind of operation, which runs on a dike and water management system, it's quite complex. So we went through when would be the best time to close and if it was forced upon us. We looked at all of those options. But economically, given the complexity of managing the water and keeping everything right, we would have had to have quite a large workforce still managing that and pumping and building dikes to prevent um, breaches. So that was a big factor into our consideration. The second consideration, as I mentioned right up front, was we've incurred all the costs. So from a cash flow perspective, we, we'd spent the money. We may not have been using all the consumables if we closed the mine but the, the complexity of closing it down and then preparing it for opening work was quite um, prohibitively expensive. And then the longer we stayed closed, um, there was a tipping point whether you should stay closed for even longer to get past the next winter road period. So we looked at all of those options and so far we've discounted those um, because they're not beneficial. If the market opens and we've got stock, we can participate. If the market opens and our stock's still sitting in the ground, um, we wouldn't be able to do that until we reopened. And obviously our debt obligations continue regardless of whether we're mining or not. So under certain circumstances, we looked at this and made, made the decision to continue operating, which suited, um, I think, everyone in the Northwest Territories, our employees, many of our stakeholders, and indeed the beers. Great, thanks. 
Last question. Uh, is COVID going to add costs, just in terms of having to manage people, uh, distancing, et cetera, uh, bringing in contractors, having less of your workforce available? Is this, uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting senses from other parts of, of the mining industry that it, it could add to costs. Is that, how much of that is? Uh, there, there have been, so the, the cost, um, overall, how we've approached this, we've had some savings that we've made and we've had some cost increases. So far, the savings that we're able to affect have far outweighed the cost increases. There are obviously, um, we have made use of some of the government subsidies on, on uh, wages and benefits both at a mountain province level and at a developer level. So that's helping to offset some of this. Some of the uh, transport arrangements we've had to make have been more expensive, but then we've had quite a lot of savings on other transport arrangements. So what we've done very briefly is we run our own transport system now, no reliance on um, any commercial uh, flights, partly because of the social distancing and to have complete control of our workforce as they arrive um, and they, they depart. So that has added a bit of cost. We, we've lost some employees and we've gained others and we're having a different wage structure on that. But these are all temporary arrangements. So, so far, the plant has continued to operate. So that's been good. Mining's been affected, just as, the, as I said, the equipment's not always adequately utilized. And we're building that back up, but not material on the cost increase front, uh, Daniel. Okay, great, thanks. And um, just in terms of updating the market, would you hope to that be time frame for that would you be hoping for something in the next six weeks or yes okay okay great thanks very much yes. your next question comes from one of our webcast listeners they ask can you please explain the 40 million dollar loss in more detail sure Perry sure uh, I can take that uh, so I'll tell you quickly. It's it's uh we are a Canadian dollar uh, reporting company, and our debts are three hundred million dollar um, second lien uh, secured notes payable is uh, de denominated in U.S. dollars. So even though we didn't make any payments on that debt during the quarter, other than interest payments, you're required to report it. Um, in Canadian dollars at the rate at the end of the period. So given the Canadian dollar weakened quite a bit compared to the beginning of the quarter, uh, you take that uh, and you apply the difference in the rate times your amount outstanding, and you report that as um, you know a financial loss, even though it's unrealized. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know we sell our diamonds in U.S. dollars uh, and then convert that to Canadian dollars to pay for the cost at the mine. So um, so the weaker the Canadian dollar is, the more Canadian dollars we receive uh, when we sell diamonds. So, you know, on an operating cost basis, it actually benefits us. But when you look at just the pure math on our bond, uh, there's an unrealized uh, expense when, it, when the Canadian dollar depreciates. Uh, hopefully that helps. Uh, so just on that, thanks, Perry. So, so this is a non-cash item when we say it's unrealized and the other thing if we do have to settle our bonds we our sales are in dollars us dollars and our settlement is in us dollars so there's no currency risk on translation of there so i think that you know also helps we, we're doing the right things here and equally if this goes the other way we show a lower amount owed so we have a foreign exchange gain that is also non-financial we don't actually 
and see that hard cash. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Zev Hausich of HSBC. Please go ahead. Oh, hey, thanks, guys. Uh, good morning. Can you update us uh, where your cash balance is as of today or as end of, end of April? Hi, uh, yeah, uh, as of now, our current cash balance is uh, similar to where we ended uh, the first quarter. So having drawn down so the last 25 yeah, so basically we we expended uh, the the 25 million that uh, we threw down, the 25 million US that we threw down. Okay, thank you. And then and you and you still have obviously the bond payment coming up in in June. That's going to be um, that's going to be about 18 million or so Canadian, right? That's correct, 12 million. Okay. You also have for us. Uh, if you can, the kind of rough update on, on the inventory. I assume you've been building inventory on the diamond side since the end of the quarter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Stuart mentioned, you know, we, you know, mining rates have been going, production rate has been going well. Uh, we continue to build stock. You know, we had well over a million carats, uh, you know, at the end of the first quarter and, uh, you know, continue to build that uh, even higher since then. Oh, yeah. Okay. Stuart, I'm sorry. Did you want to say something? Um, no, I was sorry. I was ruffling ruffling some paper. My, my apologies. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, can Can you give us an update on uh, you know the kind of a cash burn rate? I mean, obviously, Perry just gave us a little insight there over the month or so. You know, obviously, we all can speculate as to when you know the impact of Antwerp opening and all that that good stuff. Um, is there any way you can give us a sense of like what the cash burn rate is right now on a monthly basis? Uh, yeah. it, it does. Go ahead, Stuart. No, no, you go. Uh, I was going to say, uh, I think Stuart alluded to the fact that we're, you know, we just finished the winter road uh, towards the end of March. So right now we're not, we're kind of uh, still paying for some of those costs. They're still flowing through, you know, the final invoices and, and reconciliations on that. So uh, this this time of the year, you know, our monthly costs are still elevated compared to the rest of the year. So, um, you know, it, it takes, you know, over $200 million a year uh, in terms of total costs, but uh, it's more much more heavily weighed to the first half of the year than the second half of the year, you know, more more like a two-thirds, one-third kind of, kind of uh, weighting. So that kind of gives you an approximate idea of, of you know what the monthly what the monthly burn rate might be. So 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 if I can the cadence of that I guess even within the first half of the year I assume it starts to curve down as you get into May and June for the reasons you mentioned. That's right. The June you really see the dip and then you know that more or less carries on to the rest of the year. Okay, Stuart, uh, you before in your uh, prepared remarks you mentioned. You know, India following suit, and I, I wasn't sure if that was a expectation or I haven't seen anything declared about the you know diamond cutting business in India actually starting up or not. But I, I saw Antwerp was. But can you confirm that that was actually that's been announced or that's something that you're expecting to happen at some time? 
No, it, it's been announced um, and they are opening up. Some factories in Surat have opened up, not fully in Mojets, but we think they'll start building up their capacity. Um, they open for import and export at the moment. So you've seen your first diamonds that obviously completed being exported where that was all under lockdown. So our, our sorting factory, for example, that does our sorting is open and, and working again under all normal social distancing. So yeah, we are seeing India open up their economy and that was formally a decision taken. Not by us. Okay, thank you. Yeah, no, appreciate that. And then last for me, um, I think you mentioned before some, you know, change the workforce in terms of all this, you know, complexity that's been brought upon. Um, is there any way you can sort of help us understand on like a mining rate perspective, how, what exactly the impact has been on the substitute or alternative procedures that you've had to deal with sort of help us modeling out at least the next quarter of production? Yeah. So I think from a tons treated perspective, you won't see a change at all. So that shouldn't affect your revenue. Um, at all. However, we do think we will be mining different tons on different grade, and that's so there's likely to be a lowering of the carrot expectation because we had to implement these things in March and April, and we got through it in April. So, on a total tonnage process through the plant, I don't expect to see too much movement from that from our original guidance. On the grade, we might see slightly of an impact, but again, we're working through that. That's why we want to test these things through May. Um, on the total ore moved, given that we lost some crews and we're now busy you know, rebuilding those, um, we probably see a deficit there. That's really what it is. So it's, we still need to work through this, hence us not releasing it yet. We, we don't know the final numbers, and we want to see a sustainability to you know, bed these new people down and obviously they're temporary we're getting it's, it's highly skilled people that we're getting we're not there's no compromise on safety we still have a hundred percent safety record on mine but you know the complexity of moving it around and, and every change out that we've done you know has slightly complications with that we don't quite know who's going to arrive you know who's leaving so we've gone on a 30-day um, cycle instead of 14 on 14 off with 30 on 30 off at the moment so that's helped the stability, and we're now seeing the full benefit of that this month. So, you know, that will come out pretty soon. Okay, thanks. And obviously, you're in a defense mode at this point, given all that's going on. But, you know, there's a neighboring, relatively speaking, operator that's in financial, you know, receivership right now. Uh, any way that you see the, the marketplace overall, you know, finding interest, whether it's your partner or somebody else? For consolidation of that operator, is there anything uh, you've observed that would make sense for that to happen on a consolidation basis? I can't. I mean, we we look at these things, and but um, right now I'm focused on a few other things. Okay. Best of luck. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Your next question comes from Bruno Costa with Concise Capital Management. Please go ahead. Thank you for taking my question, Stuart and Perry. So uh, you mentioned from on the answer for, to a previous uh, question that there were some wage subsidies, both on the level of the JV and the level of Mountain Province as well. And uh, I wanted to know what's the magnitude of these wage subsidies. Uh, can you give me a number, or at least a ballpark number? Perry, could you? Right. Want me to take that, sir? Yeah, please. Sure. 
so the federal wage subsidy, I think, is the most important one. Um, so from a Mountain Province standpoint, we qualify for that. Uh, we're still working with the beers to ensure, uh, um, you know, that uh, DK mine personnel qualify as well. But basically, the benefit is roughly uh, $870 per week uh, per employee. Um, so that kind of gives you a sense that it, it helps, but it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's a game changer. And I believe the program was, is only in place for a total of 10 weeks at this point. I think it expires the first week of June. Um, but, uh, you know, every, Every little bit helps, but uh, it's it's not going to um, you know make or break. I don't think in our mind. Understood. And uh, are there any other uh, federal or provincial programs that uh, for for government assistance that you guys are looking into or already tapping into? Uh, government uh, certainly, we hope, can be part of the solution. Uh, as Stuart says, we're we're in negotiations with a number of stakeholders, and uh, government is certainly uh, in that camp. Understood. Uh, and for, for my next question, uh, what's what's the, the magnitude of the small sales from alternative channels that you guys mentioned before? Uh, can you guys give us a number on this? It's, it's in the millions, um, but we'd rather not. It's, it's quite sensitive to our future sales strategy. So. We'd rather not at the moment comment on it and the price if we could. It's it's not that material, but it's certainly material for us, and it's giving us a lot of information about where we can price our future sales. So we don't really want to publish that, Bruno. That's fine. That's fine. Thank you. And uh, my last question is, uh, you talked about India opening up uh, some factories already. And I saw on the news recently that there's been talk within some of the Indian diamond pairs about Im implementing um, an import ban for rough diamonds that would start uh, in mid-May. Uh, is this something that's still in consideration within um, the Indian diamond buyers? Uh, do you guys see this as a potential risk? There's certainly a um, talk about that. It's not a formal organization or a government-driven initiative. It was more of a voluntary um, of the German Jewelry Export Promotion Council and their members talking about it as to offering up one of the solutions as to export more polish before they import more rough. So that certainly was talked about, but I think what we're seeing is there's not all factories are the same. Some factories don't have goods, some do have goods, some have exported not. So we, we think there will be responsible trading no one's going to rush out to buy goods they don't need in this market. Um, certainly, there are people buying goods at prices to to speculate. So there's a whole lot of issues playing there. But I personally don't see India as coming out with such a draconian um, issue like that uh, because they, that will be detrimental to some factories that want to reopen and then don't have any stock. Not everyone's the same. They didn't all enter this crisis with the same levels of stock sitting on their wheels or in their, their safes. So... Yeah, we've been aware of that, we're following it, but I think we have enough evidence to see goods are flowing out of India and um, some goods will flow in um, on that. So yeah, we, we monitor that. But again, China is in demand. We've seen quite a lot of polish export to China already in the first week. Um, so that's indicating there is demand. And our sale was to 
um, you know, some very responsible buyers who are manufacturing and selling. So I think we we positive there. Gotcha. Thank you. And uh, I think this is my last question. Uh, you guys posted some pretty good cost improvements on a per ton basis and a per carat basis this quarter. And I wanted to know whether this is just a blip in the data or are the costs going to revert up back to the average that we were seeing last year, or is this a new normal? Harry. Are you still there, Perry? We might have lost Perry. Um, I can I think it's, there were a few yeah, timing yeah. issues. Oh, okay, do you want to go, Perry? We we had got this answer already. Yes, uh, that's right. Uh, so I think uh, productivity was good uh, for the quarter. Uh, we also got the benefit of uh, lower input costs on some of the consumables. So so basically, when we're mining uh, first quarter 2020. Uh, we're using the fuel costs from 2019, which were lower than the fuel costs uh, for 2018 on the comparative period. So, uh, so that helped us a lot. And as well, uh, the other, I think the bigger factor was that we actually built uh, stockpiled or stockpiled during the quarter. And the way the inventory costing model works, uh, you know, if you're building stockpile, you put some of those costs to the stockpile rather than production costs. Um, so yeah, despite the COVID-19 situation, we actually built uh, about 50,000 tons of ore uh, during the quarter, whereas one last year, we drew down uh, nearly a quarter of a million tons of, uh, of ore. So that, in, that elevated our cost in the corresponding period. But uh, overall, uh, you know, cost the cost trends, uh, even without that, are pretty good. And then, uh, you know, as Stuart mentioned, uh, you know, we're, we'll see, you know, maybe some small hiccups as we onboard uh, some of these new people and adjust our, uh, you know, working uh, parameters. But, uh, you know, we think uh, costs are still trending in the right direction. And then uh, these wage subsidies, uh, however temporary they are, uh, if we qualify, those will help our cash costs as well. Thank you very much, Perry. That's, uh, that's it for me. Okay. Jessica, I'm hoping that we're running out of questions here. We've been going quite a while now, and I think we've covered quite a lot of the similar ground here. So if I could take one more, otherwise we'd like to sign off now, please. Yes, we have one last question for you here. This question comes from Paul Zeminski of PZDA. Please go ahead. Hi guys, yeah, I think you're breaking a new record for Q&A participants here. Um, but just one question looking back um, at the, the Q1 average price per carat of 75 US. I think in the MDNA you said, um, you know, the Euro VR increase is mainly due to a, a better mix sold. Does that mean that more fancies and specials were included in the sales or is it that the mind overall mix improved due to the, you know, the plant recovery adjustments you made last year or was it you know, you know, related to a portion of the ore body that was mined um, towards the end of last year. Three, thanks, Paul. Good question. Three things that affected us, and you've answered all of them. So we did have a better population of fancies and specials, and and more of our sales were included in that, so that helped. Also, some better quality goods. Uh, definitely, the bottom cutoff that we put in late last year with the changeover and that stock coming through. So we we got less fine goods, which has helped up the average. And in general, the quality was a little bit, as we say, in our part of the world, a bit coarser. So that means the goods were slightly larger. So that definitely helped. 
And then we did see some price, unbelievably price increases in the first sale were pretty good in certain of the categories that we have quite a lot of popularity in. So, yeah, heading into the crisis, we were doing well. We had better production mix, um, better quality, and better price. But we are where we are now. So thanks for that. Got it. Um, all right. Um, hang in there, guys. It will get better. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. All right. So, uh, thanks very much to everyone. Uh, hopefully that's been beneficial. I think we've divulged quite a lot and a, a lot of hope uh, for the future. And I think all of us need to be on that page. Um, and, and we look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.